Good morning. We've been talking about um, I guess views. Views in Sangha. Laura brought up the very radical notion yesterday that there was a point not too long before the Buddha's enlightenment that he was grasping views. We don't normally talk about the Buddha's grasping views, but I think it's a pretty um, when we look at what was happening to the Buddha's body the way it was withering they talk about at a certain point uh, his hair was so matted that birds were nesting in it this seems crazy except birds actually do this <laughs> there, 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 um, there are all of these great uh, YouTube videos, actually, of birds going up to humans, landing on their head, and just taking their hair for a nest. So, um, it's kind of cute. Sure not, I'm sure a little painful, but (laughs) adorable. Um, And so he was so um, detached in a way, or not even detached, aversive to his body, that it was being destroyed for the sake of spiritual transcendence. Now, it's not that, it's not that um, strange. I mean, the Buddha was from the warrior caste. He was trained as a warrior. So his discipline was strong. It had grown over six years of practice. And his body was being dominated. And his practice at that point was a practice of domination. It was to exhaust the body so that his spirit could be free. And um, there's the memory that was mentioned when he remembered himself as a boy in the, under the rose apple tree during the um, harvest celebration. And there was a sense of ease. And he asked the question, might this actually be more what I'm looking for than what's happening here? And then as Laura said, the, the three young girls playing um, the lute and um, he had the thought, maybe I'm, the lute only works if the strings are in the middle, if they're too loose which he considered his earlier life of um, indulgence as being too loose, and this life of asceticism as being too tight. I'm pulling too tightly. And it was soon after that Sujata, as Laura talked about, came and offered the sweet rice, milk. Get louder. I'll get louder. So we're at Sujata with a sweet rice milk. And, um, and it's in this recognition of his grasping of views that he's able to accept the generosity of another person. Up until that point, he couldn't. He, would, he dismissed all of that. 
So he had to release, he had to be released from his own ideas of what he needed to be doing in order to accept it. And in accepting that generosity, his spiritual path was supported. And as Laura was saying, all of that time he was being supported. Goddesses, people around him, his, um, his father keeping an eye on him. I mean, I imagine his father had all kinds of political um, informers that were paying attention to what was going on with the Buddha. Weren't millions and millions and millions of people around then. His mother coming down from, from the heavens to try to convince him to eat. All of those things are happening, and he moves from this kind of relationship of domination to this relationship through a whole lot of insights to understanding that that domination isn't going to work and that there has to be another way of being with the body, heart, and mind than this. And so that, and it doesn't, and when he, re, when he realizes dependent co-arising and the nature of mind and the skandhas grasping themselves, things we've talked about before. Those don't get integrated right away. It's not like, now I'm finished. The first story we hear is he's walking down the road and the first person he sees, he starts telling them how great he is and how brilliant he is and how he's discovered the whole nature of the world and et cetera, et cetera. And that person kind of blows him off and walks away. Still kind of about his insight and about how great he is. I love, I've said before, I love that story because even the Buddha took a while. And over time, he's got a long way to walk back to Varanasi from where he is. Days, probably weeks. And... Um, Before he gives the, before he meets up with the five um, ascetics that started him on the, this path, and then gives the talk on the turning of the wheel of Dharma. So he's probably thinking, he's probably feeling, he's probably paying attention to what's going on with him. He's spending nights in various groves. And I imagine what starts to develop, and probably develops over years, is a whole lot of patience. Because this integration process for all of us, the kind of integration from when we are stuck in our views, when we just won't give them up, or what Laura brought up yesterday, when we're frozen from from what we would call trauma or what we would call or an event that might be tra traumatic whatever that is these these are other kinds of views this takes a long time realization around this takes a long time to integrate and so when we think of the paramitas generosity our own um, behavioral discipline around the precepts our patience the energy, the amount of concentration and gathering of mind that needs to happen for wisdom, which is the transformation of the held views to its integrated wisdom in the body, 
those things are necessary for that transformation to take place. And so when we were talking about these monks in Nanquan's cat, where they're all arguing, doesn't seem like maybe in that moment much is integrated. And Nanquan you know, holds up the cat and makes the threat and goes through with it. He's probably, maybe he's impatient in that moment. Maybe Nanquan's impatient in that moment. Maybe he's been patient for a long time and there needed to be something that rocked the boat. But I think about... um, what we've all gone through over the last two years and even the time before that. And how the wisdom of that is still integrating. It's not just that our practice is integrating and everything we're paying attention to is integrating. And What we've gone through is still integrating. We've changed. I've certainly changed. I know many of you I talk with have changed. You're not the same person that left 505 Carol. And this moment, this pandemic, everything that's happened has a lot to do with that. And so there's still heartbreak and there's still um, loneliness and there's still confusion and all of these things are there. And there has been a lot of seeing of what's required and what's not required and what was extra. What needed to go? What views were just off? They were a habit that fit with a world that hadn't been interrupted quite as dramatically as it needed to be interrupted for us to see the views. And so now a lot of those views have been seen. That doesn't mean they're integrated yet. It takes years, a long time. A lot of patience. And, you know, we, with Sangha, (laughs) Sangha's a whole room right now of lots of views. Some views being held tightly, some views not being held tightly. We sit a week of retreat to put ourselves in a situation where it's really hard to ignore our views. It's just very hard. We we try. We really try hard to do it. And um, we convince ourselves they're right. We kind of go asleep. We get agitated. We daydream. We do all kinds of things. Until at some point we fall back, we fall down into the body. We have a taste of silence. And then everything that disrupts that silence starts to become more clear. And it's usually not the people talking outside. 
It's usually not the cars. It's usually not the sounds of the city that actually disrupts that silence. It's our response to all those things. It's our views about all of those things. And that becomes more and more clear and more and more clear and more and more clear. And so we come together in this community in this way. And we have to really cultivate a patience with how long it takes for that integration to unfold. We all want, at least I speak for myself, I really wanted my teacher to be infinitely patient with my, the length of time it took for my integration to happen. Maybe not, you know, but if somebody hurt me in some way, maybe less patient with their integration. They should have figured that out by now. I've watched them do it 500 times. They keep saying that they're going to change, and they don't. And it's on them. And yet, I'm still requesting patience for me. Patience for how long it takes for me to release from my views. but not the same patience for how long it takes for people to release from their views. And this, you know, we all do this. This is not a condemnation, it's just real. We're clear, and part of the reason we don't have the same patience with their views and how long it takes for them to work through it is because our view is right. We don't really have to work through it. We don't have to work through the grasping of my view because it's just the right view. Theirs is the wrong view, so they've got to work through theirs. It's simple enough. <laughs> Then it gets really tricky when a whole bunch of people collude that together they have the right view. And a whole group of people have to work out their wrong view. And I don't want to go into some sort of moral nihilism here. That's not what I mean at all. There are views that cause harm. But all grasped views cause harm. No matter how morally appropriate they are. And so the Buddha releases from this. Because the thing about the Buddha, there's this whole argument, (laughs) there's this whole scholarly argument about whether the Buddha was ultimately asserting the view of dependent co-arising or, as the nature of everything, or 
What the Buddha was asserting was don't assert a view. Period. Of any kind. Don't grasp a view. Don't say that any of us know the view, have a view that is accurate about what's going on in the world. Don't grasp any view. Now for me, I don't think there's any problem with these two things being held together. Because the thing that disrupts dependent co-arising is the grasping of a view. So I don't think there needs to be an argument between these two things. When we grasp a view and assert it, we cannot experience and feel the connection of life. Louder. Did you hear what I just said? Okay. And so for all of us in, all of us in community together, what's kind of cool and difficult about a sangha is that we are all, at least preferably, we are all doing the very difficult work of seeing the views that our bodies are grasping. And I'm not using view here, although this is part of it. But the whole, the views that orient our entire being in life, the way our body engages the world. Some of these views are so deep, they're in our cell structure, we don't even know we're doing it. And those are the ones we will bear our fangs to defend. Because that's the way the world is. And it's not to say that that hasn't been the way the world has been for your body, I can pretty much bet it's true that it's the way the world's been for your body because we don't tend to make up views. We don't tend to just say, I'm going to have this view today. And Our views arise in response to what happened to us. And so for our bodies, it's a truth. And then we keep carrying that forward. You guys know all this. But the great thing about Sangha is that we are working on seeing our views so that we can be released from them not only for our own freedom, but every time I'm released from a view, boy, does it free the people around me. Does it make their life better? And um, where it gets hard to see is when we agree. That's when it's really hard. When it gets hard to see is when we agree. When we agree, then it's really hard to see. Grasping. Because we agree, so we know we're right. We agree. You, uh, and we even go to people for this, right? I have a view, I'm going to go to the people who are going to confirm the view is true. And then what makes us feel comfortable in the world is when we get enough people 
to tell us that our view is correct, and then we can relax and say our view is correct. None of those people are helping us. None of those people are helping us be free. The people that are probably helping us are the people who are really aggravating us. Man, the times that <laughs> Tia pissed me off the most was when she was right um, about the way I was acting and the way I was holding. It's moving now. It was not moving then, <laughs> but it's moving now. Because she was willing to be patient enough with me to take my fury. And where I have made the greatest mistakes in this role <laughs> is when I have not, when I have not had the courage to take someone's fury. For the sake of their liberation from their views. And so, um, when we come back to these monks arguing over the cat <laughs> and freezing, the argument, first of all, isn't going to happen unless there's a whole lot of people on both sides colluding with each other. And to Laura's point, something had not yet integrated that they froze. That they couldn't speak in that moment and say something that isn't either one of those positions, either one of those views that were being held. What is it to drop all of those views and let the heart come forward from a place that is, neither, that is none of the views? For the heart to be freed from all the views. We're constantly getting piled, we're just getting, it's like view pile on right now in our society. It's just view, 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 and all of these views are coming. And it's no wonder if we're trying to make sense up here with all of that coming, it's no wonder the heart's confused and the body is frozen and there's no way to make sense out of our lives in that way. at least not make sense in a way where we can relax. Where we can be available, where we can be free to respond to pain. So it's... Um, So I'll say, so I'll finish with this and then maybe you have some thoughts.
Um, I don't have any idea who we are anymore. I don't know who this song is. I mean, I didn't know who the song was before, but now I really don't know who the song is. Everybody's gone through so much. And probably, I'm guessing, there's been cells of people who have met here and there, but there are a lot of people who knew each other two years ago who now are wondering where this person is now across the room and don't know where they are. And don't know what's happening and don't know... Um, and some of us know a lot about each other, but some don't know anything and are wondering where people are and what's happening with this community. And now here we are again. We're in a room. Thank goodness. And so everything that has happened for all of us, and people have done so much. I mean, people have been, people have lost family members. People have been in prisons working with folks. People, I mean, just, there's a tons going on in this community. People's families have been stressed by everything that's happened, and it's resulted in so many splinters and difficult conversations, and it's just everybody is in a space of, um, if not pain, at least heightened heightened. I don't even want to put anything on the end of that. Just heightened. And so we're all in a process of integration. What is the um, what is the practice in relationship to everything that has happened? Um, what are we in relationship to each other? What are the views that that um, that were in the Sangha that needed to die? The ideas about who we were that needed to die. So that we could really sit in what the ancestors told us, which is that not knowing is most intimate. That we really don't know. And to not put something together so that we know again it's not put anything back together. Don't put anything back together. Because if we don't put anything back together, then it can just be our hearts that are leading. And we can have patience with each other as we um, work out this life for ourselves and each other. And with that, with that, if the Sangha stays in that space, because the Sangha won't get strong on views. Views will not make the Sangha strong. Coming up with like some powerful shared view is not what's going to make the Sangha strong. It's going to make the Sangha exclusive. 
It's going to make the Sangha righteous. It's going to make the Sangha all kinds of things, but it's not going to make us very strong in the Dharma sense. We don't address the, um, the violence of the world. Because we're confident. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt what is just. I actually don't know what is just. I don't know what is true. I don't know what is just. I don't know any of those things. My heart knows pain. Our hearts know suffering when we see it. Our hearts know what has to be addressed. But the outcome of that, how that goes, I don't know any of those things. If I'm honest, I actually don't know any of those things at all. I can spin off tons of ideas, but I don't know them. But my heart does know when it sees pain. It knows it. It knows suffering immediately. And in the dropping of views and allowing the heart to come forward that way, and that be what leads the Sangha, that is how the Sangha will be strong. That will be the strength of the Dharma in our community. And with that, I will be quiet. Thank you. May our intentions equally penetrate every being Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.